Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode, we focus on a topic that matters to you, whether you are in the field, the academy, or the clergy. In this episode of Open Plaza, Dr. Sochil Alviso talks to Dr. Nestor Medina about embracing language that is expansive. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Hi, everybody. Uh, we are here in the HDI podcast, Open Plaza, and I have the distinct joy to be in conversation with a good friend and colleague, and I'm going to let her tell us her name. Yes. Um, my name is Sochi Alviso. Great. Sochi for short, Sochi for short, is assistant professor of religious studies in the area of women in religion at Cal State Northridge. Mm-hmm. And today, she is going to be talking to us about why feminism matters for Christianity y la iglesia. Sí. That's really good. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. And so I'm going to start with the right first question, if that is okay with you, Sochi. Yes. Okay, so today you wanted us to... You wanted to touch on the topic of our names and references for God, especially as a bilingual person. So, so tell me a little bit about that. I'm I'm kind of intrigued by the question. So, yeah. please. Yeah. So I um I'm a practical theologian by training, and I really focused on feminist theology, um, in my you know doctoral work, and so people know me right as a feminist theologian mostly. But one day it was interesting because I was making some references, you know, to uh, God in Spanish. And a friend of mine noticed that I was using words like señor, padre. And she raised the question of like, you know, you being you know, feminist and a feminist theologian, why isn't your feminist critique, right, of like male exclusive language for God apply in Spanish? And she said that, obviously, because I was using exclusively male references for God in Spanish. And it was kind of funny to me because I hadn't even noticed, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would never use the word Lord in English, right? I would never use, you know, like, and so it was funny to me how easy it was for me to just reference God as Señor in Spanish. And, you know, in Spanish, um, our language is very gendered. You know what I mean? We have words that are feminine or masculine, you know, la mesa, el carro, there's always an el or a la that yeah. identifies it um, in a gendered way. Um, and But I had just inherited my language for God um, in Spanish in a way that I hadn't even um, critiqued or challenged or kind of interrogated even as a feminist theologian. So that was so wow, funny, right? The bilingual thing just kind of didn't translate, <laughs> yeah, with my God talk. Yeah. Um, so that really just raised a question for me of like, where are our blind spots, right? Like, how are the ways that we inherit language that wasn't problematic to us, right? Like, how do those things continue to function potentially in problematic ways without us even realizing? So it really just kind of brings me back to the topic of our language for God, our language for humanity, language, you know, for the divine, and and how we think about that a little more critically. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's kind of, 
a story just to get into the topic right. of so God how, how long was how long ago was that encounter <laughs> a little embarrassing to admit right <laughs> it was probably just like five years ago okay even though I started my work in feminist theology um, in 2004 so what's that 14 years ago yeah, so much. I had been identifying as a feminist theologian for 10 years before I started to apply that to my Spanish Interesting. God talk. So why did you tell us a little bit about kind of the, the, <clears throat> the journey of how you came to think more critically uh, about your God talk? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it definitely started in my graduate um, program. I uh, went to Boston University for a master's in theological studies and was introduced to the pioneering work of feminist theologians from the 60s and 70s, um, you know, and into the 80s. And really, you know, it was theological work, work that followed or built on the women's liberation movement. Mm -hmm. So all the things that, you know, women uh, were raising in terms of our um, sexist and patriarchal kind of social structures, political structures more broadly, um, you know, theologians started to then bring to religion and Christianity. And so I learned it really in the classroom. And what feminist theologians did in their early work, one of the things they did, right, was helping us to see the way these same kind of um, gender-specific kind of um, oppressive structures in society were also embedded in our Christianities, I mean, in our liturgies, mm -hmm. in our um, ecclesial structures. And so um, that really just kind of opened up a whole new way of thinking for me about theology, about Christianity, about language for God, language for humanity, um, the symbols we use. Um, and the, the important part about that was thinking about how that's shaping us right, mm -hmm. both as humans and as communities, right? So if language and symbols have a shape us, right, form us, mm -hmm. um, inscribe structures into our ways of thinking, how, what is that shape? You yeah. mean that we are taking on and are we thinking critically about it? Okay, so I'm intrigued about language. You are obviously not just talking about semantic changes. Um, you're, you're, you're trying to go in a deeper sense. Uh, I imagine something about inclusive, exclusive language. Is, is that where you're going? Or mm -hmm. can you say more about that? I mean, that's really intriguing. Yeah, that's good. Um, so yes, um, if we think about language as a whole system, right, a whole framework constructing our reality, of naming our reality, then, and we think about that, you know, more deeply, there's a few terms that I think are useful um, in thinking about this for, you know, our religious communities, for our God talk. Um, so there's three terms that, you know, kind of get used, and they're, you know, they obviously overlap, but, um, but they also have some distinction among them. So inclusive language, which you just referenced, expansive language, and emancipatory language. Mm. And this will kind of point to the ways it's more than just about semantics, right? Um, so inclusive language, what it seeks to do is to 
use language, you know, to speak in ways that account for the diversity, right, of reality, of existence, of experience, in terms of the divine, in terms of human um, characteristics, you know, yeah, being. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it will obviously be more than just gender, right? It'll be race, it'll be sexuality, yes. you know, it'll be um, abilities, you know, all of this. So how do we use language that's inclusive and doesn't just um, name humanity or name the divine in an overwhelmingly singular way? So um, it might be inclusive language might avoid gender-specific terms altogether in order to not exclude, right, mm -hmm. a specific yeah. gender, or it could use non-gender, no, that is avoiding gender-specific terms, using non-gender terms. Um, so using words such as like the divine for God instead of like Lord. Right. Um, it also will seek to, or it could seek to balance references, right? So if you say, you know, um, if you say God, you might also use goddess. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, so if you say, um, so you would definitely, like, so instead of just saying, you know, male or female, you might say, I don't know, what might you say? <laughs> you know what I mean, but that's yeah, yeah. the challenge, right? Inclusive, how do we make our language inclusive in ways that doesn't just, you know, land in one way, mm -hmm. one place? Expansive language seeks to use terms um, that reflect the mystery of mm. it all, right? The fact that no language can capture. Absolutely. You know what I mean, like whatever we might want to reference about the divine, about humanity, about existence. So um, it tries to disrupt our inclinations to box, you know what I mean, God or humanity in, uh, disrupt our assumptions about that by, um, by thinking more expansively, right? So another, you know, just, I, I love the word, you, I love using, for example, the word divine mm -hmm. instead of God. Yes. Right, because, or the sacred, mm. right? Because God in our minds already functions in such a particular way. You know, a, a, it's almost like a person, right? A God is, we have a subject, mm -hmm. which then, because our, our God talk tends to be, um, predominantly masculine. And he has his also his sociological baggage, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, say more about what you're thinking. Well, I, I mean that when, when we personalize God, All right. it comes already with a whole range of ideas mm -hmm. about who we think mm -hmm. this God is. So. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So then expansive language, then, you know, one example would be to then use words that to the sacred, right, or the divine instead of God, because it does disrupt then, you know, that sociological baggage we yeah, might, yeah. you know, import. Yeah. Um, so that's expansive language. So the last term I'd introduce, which is my favorite, um, but which interestingly is one I don't use that often because I think people aren't as familiar with it, yeah. is emancipatory language. And that um, is a, that term, another way of thinking about emancipatory language is justice-making language. So this goes beyond just trying to be inclusive, more than just trying to be expansive, but really trying to use language and speaking in ways that reflect people's struggle for liberation. Mm -hmm. If we start with the assumption that the divine is engaged in people's struggle for emancipation, yes. right? So how do we use language that reflects that, that makes that visible? Mm. So justice-making language. So this is another way of thinking about it then too is expansive language seeks to transform language 
and speaking so as to challenge oppressive structures within our yeah, frameworks, language frameworks, our symbols, sexist structures, racist structures, heteronormative patterns, assumptions within it. So um, justice-making language. like That one, I think, is almost our most challenging one. But the one that I think also holds the most promise in terms of allowing ourselves to not fall into ruts mm. in our ways of thinking and speaking and being um, when we're thinking about the sacred. And when we're thinking about our relationship with one another as community in relation to the sacred. Mm. So how do we help... How do we work with our language in our liturgies, in our songs, in our prayers, um, in ways that continuously are reminding us and challenging and making visible our people's struggles for emancipation, for liberation, in the ways that God is engaged in that? Mm -hmm. yeah. My goodness, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued because um, language has an enormous power mm -hmm. in changing people's minds like changing language you change people's minds and perceptions mm -hmm. so I wonder if um, if you could tell us a little bit about in terms of the potential and mm -hmm. using this um, expansive and emancipatory language or even inclusive language mm -hmm. and its potential power to change the way in which we understand and perceive the divine mm -hmm. yeah so I think that really is our continues to be our greatest area of exploration. Mm. And I think um, sometimes, you know, in our churches, you know, when we begin to make little changes in our language and symbols, we do kind of tense up a little. You know, there's a fear there. <laughs> yes, like, absolutely. Don't disrupt my, you know, my Jesus, my God. Yeah. Um, but I think you're exactly right that there's so much possibility there. You know what I mean? And I think we have continued to leave that untapped. So I like to experiment. Uh, well, For yes. me, it's, yeah, it's experimenting. So they, there's this little prayer that I pulled up, um, you know, from a liturgy book. And it, this is in Spanish, so yeah. I'm going to experiment in Spanish. So, Gloria a Dios en el cielo, y en la tierra paz a los hombres que ama al Señor. So let's just take that line. Gloria a Dios en el cielo, Y en la tierra paz a los hombres que ama el Señor. What if we said that as, Gloria a nuestra Madre Sagrada en el cielo, y en la tierra paz al pueblo de su corazón. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, just like, Even poetic, it sounds. Yeah, but like now, all of a sudden, instead of just thinking of the divine as Padre, Father, mm. what do we, you know, what does it tap into us in terms of our relationship with the divine when we think of her as Madre Sagrada, mm -hmm. right? So, like, if we expand our language, we open up new possibilities for our own experience. Yes. And so I think the reminder we have to give ourselves is that there's a lot to gain, right? That the divine, the sacred, our existence in relation um, to that which is most inspiring, poetic, life-giving, you know, what we call God, goddess, is um, is endless, mm -hmm. and we have to remind ourselves how can we um, tap into that and keep ourselves centered on the reality of, for me, the understanding that the gospel, the good news, is one of liberation, mm -hmm. is one of emancipation, 
and how do we use language that helps capture that, reminds us of that. Well, for our listeners, I, I, I see Sochi really excited and really into it. So I, I, I'm kind of getting caught up in what is happening here. So uh, Sochi, why don't you just give us, I know there is a lot more that you could say, but uh, are there any specific closing thoughts that kind of you would like to leave with your listeners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I think the invitation to play, mm. you know what I mean? To experiment, to know that, that the sacred, the divine God, um, goddess, Nuestra Madre Sagrada invites us, mm. right, to explore, engage, and, and play with her. So, so every now and then, let's just try on a different prayer. You know what I mean? Try to change the verses in a song um, and just see, you know, what that does to enrich our, our experience and our interaction with the sacred. Um, one little fun, simple thing I do all the time is, you know, we often, you know, as a, as a phrase of exclamation, right, we might say, oh, my God, oh, my God, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I always say, oh, my goddess, oh, my <laughs> goddess. And I'll be in a faculty meeting, and someone will say something that's just funny, and I'll just say, like, oh, my goddess. And it's so funny, just that alone, right, in a totally, like, academic context. People turn around, and, like, they look at you, like, what? And then they're like, oh, that is so, you know, whatever their reaction is. But it's just these little moments of disruption that I think plant a seed and open possibility. Mm. And it doesn't have to be heavy or fearful. It can just be also just light and, you know, playful. Wow. There is a lot more for sure. Sochi, I want to thank you very much for for being with us today. And for our listeners, please keep on tuning. This is Nestor Medina signing off. Hasta luego. Hasta luego. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.